Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. North Carolina teachers are the next ones to walk for a higher pay and for more resources for public education in the Tar Heel State. Hello, everybody. Teachers are leading the resistance across the country. So proud of them, and they deserve uh, everything they get as long as it's uh, more money and more money, more money for themselves and more money for schools as well. Hey, great to see you today. How about it? It's Thursday. Can you believe it? Thursday, May 17. Here we are, the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and reaching out to you all across this great land of ours with the news of the day. And there is a lot of it on this day, the first anniversary of the hiring of special counsel Robert Mueller. And uh, on that day, we learned uh, a lot yesterday, Mueller-related uh, and we'll get into all of it. Uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee re- release, reaching, releasing rather uh, the next phase of its findings about the uh, their investigation. Uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee releasing the transcripts of that uh, infamous June 2016 meeting at Trump Tower called by Donald Jr. to get dirt on Hillary, and the Mueller team uh, issuing a new subpoena yesterday for an associate of Roger Stone. Oh, Roger Stone, how he keeps creeping back uh, into this investigation. Uh, And Donald Trump called out by the Office of Government Ethics saying that he did wrong in not reporting that payment to Stormy Daniels last year and have asked the Department of Justice to investigate. Whoa, so much to get into, and we will, and you are invited to send us your comments about the news of the day. Please do so on Twitter, at BP Show. Get ready, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court All right, Press. Peter, take it away. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories right. making news. You know, we talked about the Larry Nasser case a couple of weeks ago. Yesterday, the uh, univer- or Michigan State University reached a settlement where they would pay $500 million 
to the women and the uh, well the kids yeah, uh, yeah. that were involved in the sexual abuse okay. case. Uh, it is the largest settlement ever reached in a sexual abuse case involving an, Amer- uh, an American university. This is a lot bigger than like the Pennsylvania State uh, Penn State settlement a couple of years ago with the Jerry Sandusky and Joe Paterno and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, but in all, 332 women. 332 Good women de- oh. sued the university over the abuse by Larry Nasser. Uh, and uh, like I said, it's going to be uh, a big, big settlement. $500 million for those victims. But, you know, people at the university and, and the uh, officers at the university heard the complaints, knew yep. what was going on, and yep. uh, kept this guy on the staff. Absolutely. Uh, to the golf world we go. Former U.S. champion golfer Lucas Glover, uh, which is a name I, I'm familiar with. Like, he's a name on the PGA Tour. Well, he didn't make the cut at the Players' Championship last weekend. And there was one person that was really, really, really upset with him. His wife. Uh-huh. She was so upset, in fact, that the police were called because she, and she was charged with domestic battery and resisting arrest. As he told the deputies that showed up, he said that his wife, Krista Glover, gets very upset and violent every time he doesn't play well in a major PGA tournament, and she attacked him because he didn't make the cut. He didn't Good do Lord. well enough. So she was very upset with him and actually attacked him and was arrested for it. I think that's grounds for divorce. I would think so, yeah. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, I mean... Get out there and play yourself if you, you know what yeah, I mean. Right. Exactly. And let's give a quick update to the NBA playoffs. Uh, Boston Celtics seem to have the Cleveland Cavaliers number. They're up two games to one in that series. And last night, the Rockets came back to beat the Warriors 127 Whoa. to 105. Whoa. That series is going to be an absolute barn burner. Yeah. It's tied uh, one game apiece there. And what do the Caps do? Do we know? Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, stay tuned. I'll have an update next hour. Okay. On the Caps. All right. I'll have an update on the NHL playoffs. Okay. All right. Good. Need to keep up with all of them. You got it. This is the Bill Press Show. Rudy Giuliani says that Mueller cannot indict Donald Trump. Under the laws of the land, you can't indict a sitting president of the United States. Oh, yeah, Rudy? Well, just watch. We'll find out about that. Hey, hello, everybody. On a Thursday, May 17, uh, here we are, the Bill Press Show. And here you are, and it's great to see you today. And we thank you for joining us as we uh, run through the news of the day here. And, boy, what a day it is. Uh, we got a great lineup of guests today and a lot and a lot to talk about on this first anniversary of the hiring of Robert Mueller as special counsel of the United States uh, on the, leading the FBI investigation. Well, let's just stop right there. Leading criminal FBI criminal investigation of the president of the United States. Okay, all the details. Sometimes we get more focused on the trees than on the woods. The big thing, the big question is, yes, for a year now, the president of the United States has been under criminal investigation and still is by the FBI, an investigation led by special counsel Robert Mueller after Donald Trump fired FBI director James Comey. That investigation continues, as we will see in just a couple of minutes. It is more serious than ever. It is zeroing in closer and closer to uh, top White House officials, 
and to the Oval Office itself and the man who sits in the Oval Office. It's not about to end anytime soon. Uh, and that is just one of the several legal fronts that Donald Trump finds himself uh, facing and up against these days. So with all that to talk about, man, uh, we are with you everywhere you are in this great land of ours, as well as around the globe on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Once again, we remind you, don't mean to bug you about it, but please check out our podcast. Podcast is up right after the show, and you can access it by just going to billpressshow.com or anywhere you follow your podcasts uh, and sign up for our podcast. And the numbers of the podcasters have been just been climbing steadily every month, every week. Uh, thanks to you. We appreciate that. And if you haven't signed up yet, please do so. One thing I just wanted to mention, again, we've mentioned this before, but, you know, we do the show every day. But what we've started doing, only if you subscribe to the podcast, if you subscribe to the podcast, you'll see we're putting out stuff on the weekends now. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we had one up last week, and we had an interview uh, with Rodney Scott, who is a barbecue pit master who just won a James Beard Award. Really? For the best chef in the Southeast, a barbecue guy. Whoa. Uh, and so we talked a little bit about barbecue and, and grilling and sort of where that's going. And uh, this weekend we have a whole conversation about Fortnite. Which, if you have kids, you probably know what Fortnite is. It's the new video game. But we talked about that and sort of how it's becoming a cultural thing. So uh, definitely, definitely go check out the podcast on the weekends as well. Did you, uh, um, what's his name, Roger Stone? Rodney, 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 Rodney Scott. Rodney Scott, Not yeah. Roger Stone, who I'm no. sure makes a very fine barbecue. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Rodney, did you uh, talk to Rodney about uh, my barbecue secret, the secret to, to great barbecue in the press <laughs> which which is Carol. Carol does all the grilling yes, and barbecue. Right. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's 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 your real secret. <laughs> it works. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, so that's for the podcast. But you well, gotta subscribe. You gotta subscribe, yes, or else yes. you won't see it. Right. Uh, we're also joining you, of course, on Free Speech TV. Hello out there in TV land and on the radio, statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, and all through the greater Chicago area on the great WCPT, the Progressive Voice of Chicago, uh, and. Our guest today, Congressman Peter Welsh, the lone and great congressman from the state of Vermont. Vermont yesterday becoming the first state to allow people to buy drugs legally from Canada and other countries. A lot of people do so now. Anyhow, but this makes the first state to actually say it's okay to do so. Uh, we'll talk to Peter Welsh about that and about uh, uh, a lot happening uh, in, the, in, the, in the Congress. Hunter Walker, who covers the uh, White House for Yahoo News, does a great job. He'll be here as well. And then Jeff Weaver, Bernie Sanders' campaign manager. He's got a new book out. Uh, I just finished it. It's a great book. It's called How Bernie Won. Wait, you say, wait a minute, Bernie didn't win. Oh, yes, he did. If you read Jeff's book, Jeff Weaver, How Bernie Won, he'll be here as well today. So, wow. Uh, very excited about today's lineup. And uh, we want to jump right into the uh, Mueller investigation, but 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 first, but, 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 but first we have to listen to, all right, everybody, here we go now. This is the thing that swept the nation yesterday, even to the point that the Speaker of the House of Representatives had to comment on it himself. You tell us what you hear, we'll play you the computer-generated voice that was put up yesterday online and stirred up a sensation. Here it is. Laurel, 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 Laurel. <laughs> okay, the question is, 
What do you hear? I just want to play it one more time. What right. word do you what hear? What word do you hear? Laurel. 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 <clears throat> now, there is no doubt in my mind. <laughs> I know what I hear, and I don't think anybody could hear anything other than Laurel. Laurel. That's what I hear. Laurel. 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 Yeah. Laurel. Well, that's what I hear. That's what you hear. That's what I hear. Some people, for whatever reason, hear Yanny. Yeah, Yanny. 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 I wouldn't Yanny. know because I can't Yanny. hear it. No, I can't know. Yanny. <laughs> but there, honestly, Yanny. honestly. I, I can't believe anybody could, could hear maybe Lauren or something, but not Yanny. It's a total split. Yeah. It's a total it split. I've seen so many day. people say night both. and day. I've seen so many people say both. You can't say, yo, you can't hear both. Or the, 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 but oh, what I'm saying, one or I've the seen, other. I, one of the people are saying, I've seen equal number of people say they heard Yanny. I've heard equal number of people say that they've heard Laurel. Okay. So, you Laurel people out there, feel relieved. You Yanny people out there, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and are there any Yanny people out there? Let us know on, sure. on, on Twitter, at BP Show. But it even came up yesterday, yes, believe it or not, to my knowledge, Donald Trump wasn't asked about it. <laughs> By the way, he would have heard Yanny. Yeah, probably. No doubt. Probably. No doubt. Yeah. Because he does march to a He different... would have heard Trump. That's all, everything is always Trump for him. <laughs> and they're saying Donald Trump no. is the greatest. Can't you hear? No, he would have heard Nobel. Nobel. <laughs> Nobel. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> Folks, you don't hear this? They're saying Nobel. Everybody says yeah, Everybody's saying Everybody. it. I would never Even say this computer generated voice is saying yeah, it. Right. Uh, but uh, this question did come up at the speaker's news conference yesterday. Paul Ryan, the, wait, we ought to be grateful for this. This is the one time that I have heard Paul Ryan take a stand. Yeah, right, right, right. I'd like to declare something that is just so obvious. It is Laurel and not Yanny. All right. All right? There you go. Who says he's a spineless? All right, there it is. There right. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Paul Ryan. I agree with Paul Ryan on one thing, exactly one thing. Profile and courage. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, there he is. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna check with all of our guests today and and find out. Yeah, we're gonna separate. This is the sheep and the goats, right? This is the laurels and the yannies. That's okay. a that's a good idea. Yes, indeed. And here we go. First, <coughs> so first, Denver. It was a year ago today uh, that uh, Robert Mueller got the job. Thank you, Donald, for firing James Comey. The, as Steve Bannon said, the most colossal political mistake made uh, in modern times uh, because he got rid of Comey, but he got a guy a lot tougher who immediately surrounded himself with a team of about 15 of the top prosecutors in the country. And that is Robert Mueller. And uh, the first anniversary, of course, was seized upon by uh, Donald Trump and his uh, and his minions to say, oh, my God, this has been going on for so long, and they haven't found out anything, and they haven't done anything. And so this whole—it's th just a witch hunt, a political witch hunt. We've heard this so many times. And this whole thing has to stop and stop now. Mike Pence, vice president, went on NBC and said, it is time to end it. Well, uh, guess what? They're just kidding themselves. First of all, and uh, I didn't realize this until I did a little uh, a little research yesterday. This Mueller investigation, by it's it's really just getting started. Okay, it's been going on for a year. In terms of special investigations, it is young, right? The Enron investigation took years. Ken Starr, 
Ken Starr started out on the Whitewater stuff in 1994. We remember Ken Starr and the Bill Clinton thing. He ended his special investigation over six years later. So Ken Starr, it took six years. Robert Mueller, one year so far. Just getting going. And in terms of Robert Mueller uh, not uh, accomplishing anything, well, so far, there have been 19 people indicted. 19 people indicted. Uh, They include, uh, by the way, 19 people indicted and five guilty pleas that Robert Mueller has managed to get uh, out of the people that they've investigated. And those people indicted so far include Donald Trump's campaign manager. I mean, these are not just little low-life, low-lying people, right? Donald Trump's campaign manager. Donald Trump's Paul Manafort. Donald Trump's deputy campaign manager, Rick Gates. Just remind ourselves what Robert Mueller has accomplished in a year. The National Security Security Advisor of the United States of America, Michael Flynn. Uh, Campaign aide, George Papadopoulos. Another campaign aide, a guy that we hear very little about. He was in California, Richard Pinedo, uh, also indicted. And then you had two other guys, this Dutch lawyer who's based in London, Alex van der Zwan. Uh, So that's six. And then there were 13 Russians on top of that. Don't know their names. I can find them for you. And three different organizations. So 19 individuals, three organizations indicted for criminal criminal wrongdoing by Robert Mueller, and five of them, Rick Gates, Michael Flynn, George Papadopoulos, Richard Panedo, and Alex van der Zwan, have filed, have, have uh, agreed to guilty pleas. <laughs> They've admitted to criminal activity on the part of Donald Trump. So the whole investigation continues, and of course they're looking into mainly possible collusion with the Russians, uh, and we saw a little evidence of that yesterday, get to that in just a moment, and possible obstruction of justice, including in the firing of James Comey, uh, and maybe <laughs> in the trashing of Robert Mueller on a daily basis, uh, calling it a, 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 witch, a, a witch hunt. So all of that continues, and of course, in the meantime, they have um, triggered a whole spinoff because they got into, well, they found out a lot of connections um, between Russians and Donald Trump's fixer, Michael Cohen, and some payments that were made. So they referred that to the New York um, a U.S. attorney uh, in southern New York, and that's triggered a whole separate but related uh, investigation. So this is really, really uh, still a very serious and, again, an ongoing uh, investigation that is just getting started. And the big questions today, uh, first of all, uh, uh, there's several about the Mueller investigation. One is what happens next? And you know what? Nobody knows because, as we have said so many times, with uh, the Mueller team, there are no frills, there's no drama, and there are no leaks. Nobody knows 
where they're going next. Um, they've got a grand jury impaneled. Their witnesses going in every day, uh, and they are grilled in front of the grand jury, and that is just proceeding. And we won't know where Robert Mueller is going next until he stands in front of the federal courthouse in downtown Washington and announces uh, his next indictment. So that one question. And the other question is, of course, uh, will Donald Trump himself sit down and be deposed by Robert Mueller? That's why uh, Trump uh, hired Rudy Giuliani to get him out of that. Rudy Giuliani says he doesn't have to meet with Mueller. Uh, he doesn't think he should. He doesn't think they could prepare him, meaning uh, <clears throat> they couldn't um, get him to the point where he wouldn't perjure himself or lie under oath in front of Mueller. Uh, and, um, and Rudy Giuliani also saying that if Robert Mueller issues a subpoena, the president would not have to answer it. And again, he just said uh, just a few minutes ago on Fox and Friends, Rudy Giuliani reiterating the fact that uh, Robert Mueller cannot indict a sitting president of the United States. Well, that hasn't been tested yet, uh, but if that goes to the Supreme Court, um, we'll see what happens. I think the Supreme Court very much, could very much well rule, not a stretch to rule for the Supreme Court to rule that no man, not even the president of the United States, is above the law. So I think Rudy Giuliani uh, is talking uh, out of his hat on this thing. Um, and then the, uh, and the overriding question still, of course, is, well, Donald Trump, is he crazy enough to try to put an end to this whole thing by firing Robert Mueller? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. He could. So, like, will he? I, maybe. Like, there might be I a way around it. But, but like, I think he definitely a, would if he could. I think there's a 50-50 chance he could. Yeah, totally. Right. Seriously, yeah. Um, now, with that having been said about this first anniversary, yesterday all kinds of stuff came out. Uh, first of all, the Senate Judiciary Committee released its transcript uh, of their conversations with the people who took part in that famous June 2016 meeting at Trump Tower, uh, called by Donald Trump Jr. for the purpose of, <laughs> they said they said later it was just to talk about abortion. No, no, no. No, I mean, sorry, adoption. Uh-uh, no. The purpose was to get dirt on Hillary. That's what they promised. And the transcript shows that Donald Jr. opened the meeting by saying, we understand you have some information for us. <laughs> okay. We, again, we've said this a million times now. They're so bad at saying the quiet part loud. Yes. There's a way to work your way into yes. that other yes. than bumbling into a room and go, what do you have for us? How what illegal you, information did you obtain for nice us? nice to see you. How can we help you? How can whatever? Or, right. How can we work together or whatever? Right. Yeah, what? No, no. We understand you have some dirt for, <laughs> for us. Right. <laughs> Uh, and uh, the transcript allegedly shows too uh, shows that allegedly Jared Kushner got really pissed off and and upset because uh, all this woman this attorney was talking about was this old adoption law that she felt was unfair to Russia and they all were looking at each other saying why are we talking about this why are we wasting our time on the who knows but clearly the purpose of the meeting was to get the dirt on Hillary and it also uh, shows that Donald Trump Jr. After the meeting, made a couple of calls, phone calls to an to a blocked number. So, question: Did he tell his daddy about the meeting after the meeting? Did daddy know about the meeting ahead of the meeting? 
we don't know. And Donald Trump Jr. says, if you want to believe him, he can't remember whom he made a call to to a blocked phone number. <clears throat> yeah, you think that's hard to figure out? <laughs> Come on, right? So that more information uh, about that uh, coming out yesterday. There were eight people in that meeting, uh, including, by the way, this is a big, big, high-level meeting. Donald Jr., Paul Manafort, campaign manager, Jared Kushner, son-in-law, Michael Flynn, advisor then, becomes national security advisor. This is a top-flight meeting. They all got there because they thought they were going to get the dirt that was going to finish off uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, but but just the fact that they had the meeting and that those people that were there at the meeting shows, if nothing else, they were, if, they, if this isn't collusion, it shows a willingness to collude. That's why they went. That's why they set up the meeting. That's why they went. Willingness to collude. And even if they left empty-handed, that's what their that's what their purpose was. But that's like an interesting part of all this, right? Like yeah. collusion, yeah. maybe the case is being built, right? Like we'll see if there's actual mm-hmm. collusion. If there's like a, a, a an actual and they may never like, prove it. Of collu- they, maybe but they if won't. they didn't, it's not because they didn't try. Exactly. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. The willingness to collude. I think you've already got a case. Totally. You've already got a case. Did they right. collude? Maybe. Yeah. Will we find out? Maybe. Were right. they willing to collude? Absolutely. So that's the other thing that was related to um, the, to the Mueller investigation came out yesterday. Uh, a second thing is that the Mueller team issued uh, another subpoena yesterday, interestingly enough, to a guy in Southern California by the name of Jason Sullivan. His connection is that he was a contractor with, are uh, you ready for this name, Roger Stone. Yeah, he <laughs> he popped, his ugly head pops up again, right? Um Roger Stone had a PAC raising money in 2016 for the Trump campaign, and Jason Sullivan was part of that. And so I'm sure they're looking into, again, we keep saying this, follow the money, follow the money. They're looking into Jason Sullivan. Where did they get the money for the Roger Stone PAC? Uh, Did any any of that come from Russian oligarchs? Like we know that Donald Trump's fixer, Michael Cohen, was getting money from from Russian oligarchs. Uh, for his uh, uh, alleged access to Donald Trump and to the Oval Office. So it was another thing that happened yesterday. Third thing was that the Senate Intelligence Committee released its latest report, this latest report, where they say clearly, uh, and other, they agree with the intelligence agencies. Um, remember the House Intelligence Committee a couple of weeks ago put out its final report and said that Yes, Russians had tried to interfere with the election, but it had nothing to do with Donald Trump. Contradicting our 17 intelligence agencies, which said last January 2017 uh, that, yes, there was, um, I think maybe even before that, yes, there was interference in the election, and yes, by the Russians, and yes, their purpose was to help Donald Trump and to hurt Hillary Clinton. Um, So the House Intelligence Committee totally disagreed with the intelligence agencies. Yesterday, the Senate Intelligence Committee, Richard Burr, Republican chairman, said, no doubt about it, the Russians were there, and they were there to help Donald Trump, agreeing with the intelligence agencies. And when Devin Nunez, the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, was told that the Senate had disagreed with them, his response was, that's nice. (laughs) 
What an idiot. So Total so idiot. Uh, at any rate, uh, Mark Warner, who is the Demo ranking Democrat on the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, yesterday, no doubt, confirming what they found out, um, that they were there to help Trump, and uh, this should never happen again. This needs to be a higher priority of both the White House and this Congress to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right. Uh, and Mark Warner, right, uh, this has to be taken seriously. There are a lot of folks that uh, have dismissed the seriousness of the Russian threat. Um, It is real. It is ongoing. And particularly in terms of election security, social media, there are things we need to do to better protect ourselves. Uh, And Mark Warner continues again. Here's the point where no doubt here's here's what the Russians were up to. I absolutely believe that Russia intervened, intervened. With, on the basis of helping Mr. Trump and hurting Hillary Clinton. I think that ICA conclusion is accurate. Now, by the way, the, the, my take on that, right, as we were we talked yesterday about how Mark Warner kind of sold out Democrats on the Gina Haspel thing, yeah. Mark Warner is not some flame-throwing liberal, mm-mm, mm-mm. right, by any stretch. Like, he'll, he's not going to get yeah. accused of that. And he out there is saying, I believe that the Russians helped Donald Trump win the election. Yeah. Yeah, like that's no. a that's a big deal, right? That's a, as Joe and Biden this, might say, that's a BFD. Yeah, but also Robert Richard Mur- Burr, yeah, the Republican chair says the same thing. Yeah, they both and, and that intelligence committee, as we've seen, the Senate intelligence committee has been doing good work and solid work, uh, substantive work, unlike the House intelligence committee, which has just been uh, riven by uh, by by politics. Uh, and the fourth thing that uh, Mueller related yesterday. Uh, is that Donald Trump filed uh, his uh, <clears throat> financial returns for this year uh, with a little footnote. And the footnote said, oh, by the way, uh, I paid my last year I paid my attorney, Michael Cohen, over $100,000 for a certain purpose. Well, we know what that purpose was. <laughs> yeah, it was hush money for Stormy Daniels. So now we have Donald Trump, who denied it last year, Denied knowing Stormy Daniels. He denied Daniels. it last month. Last month. Denied knowing anything. We got that tape on Air Force One. Denied knowing anything about a payment by Michael Cohen to Stormy Daniels. And certainly denied making that payment himself through through Michael Cohen. Now, now he is admitting, admitting that he paid, gave Michael Cohen the money to pay Stormy Daniels. Admitting it this year, although he did it last year. The Office of Government Ethics, get this, this is really a big deal. The Office of Government Ethics, to whom he filed this report, they sent it to the Justice Department yesterday and said, this should have been filed last year. The fact that he did not file this last year when it happened is a breach of government ethics. And asking the Justice Department to investigate whether or not they should charge Donald Trump with yet again breaking the law. So here's, you know, you lose track of all the lawsuits and the legal challenges that Donald Trump is facing, from Robert Mueller to the Southern District of New York to the Superior Court of New York uh, with that sexual uh, assault case to the Stormy Daniels trying to get out from the Nondisclosure Act, and now we got the Office of Government Ethics accusing him of not reporting properly last year on his financial returns, this payment to Michael Cohen. 
it goes on and on and on. I guess, I guess Rex Tillerson, former Secretary of State, had a point yesterday when he gave a speech down at the Virginia Military Institute, and you know we're no big fans of Rex Tillerson, but he did say something that rings, rings true after all we just talked about. Rex Tillerson saying that he feels there is a growing crisis in ethics and integrity among government officials. Yeah, starting at the top. Congressman Pete Welsh from the state of Vermont, uh, the only, one and only congressman representing the state of Vermont. A good friend joins us next. Lots to talk about. We continue the conversation. And don't forget, we want to hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. Quick break, and we'll be right back. Laurel. Laurel. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it? On the Thursday, May 17, welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us today as we come to you live from a very rainy Washington, D.C. We haven't had the storms as, as bad as they are farther uh, north of us here on the East Coast, but uh, it's been almost nonstop wind, rain, thunder, lightning for the last few days. We're right in the middle of it, and we're brought to you today by the uh, good men and women of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW, under Mark uh, President Mark Barone. They are the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for all of America's hardworking families, the good people that you meet and uh, take care of you at all of our grocery chains around the country. Um, we salute them, thank them for their good work, and um, thank them for the support of the program. Go to their website <coughs> at ufcw.org to find out more. And it's a great uh, honor to welcome to our studio from the state of Vermont, Congressman Pete Welsh. Hello, Congressman. Great to see you. It's Welcome good, back. Good to be here on this rainy day. Yeah, how about it? Uh, and we've been at it for a little bit here with uh, some comments from uh, some of our viewers and listeners. We Peter? Do, we do have some comments. Before we get to the comments, oh, I yes. have to ask first the Congressman, oh, what word... No, this is, a, this is the test. I don't know whether you know. This went viral yesterday. Everybody was asked, listen to this, please, Congressman. What word do you hear? Laurel. Laurel. Laurel? Laurel. 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 All right, you hear Laurel, too. You hear Laurel. I hear Laurel. Peter hears Laurel. Okay, so, so the, the test here <laughs> is some people hear Laurel and some people hear the word Yanny. Now, I it's it has to do uh, with how you hear in the higher register <clears throat> or a lower register, whether you hear highs or lows. We have comments on this because we played it. We wanted to hear from you. Uh, George says, I hear Yanny, of course. No. It's clear as mud. Well, he's... <clears throat> I think the sensitive people here, yummy. Those of us in Washington, <laughs> Laurel. Uh, Ingrid says uh, she heard Laurel. Uh, KG says he heard Yanny. Robert says he heard Laurel. And then here, here, the two of these, right? Uh, Matthew says last night on the Daily Show I heard Yanny, but this morning I hear Laurel. And Ingrid says my husband and I both listening on the same device at the same time when you played the clip. He heard Yanny. I heard Laurel. No, that's so. That's the. Th that's why this clip this is so is weird. This is insane. Is it nuts? You know, Isn't it there's nuts? room for everyone. There you go. <laughs> well, Congressman, this actually made it all the way to the speaker's news conference yesterday. And if you don't think, if you think Paul Ryan is, you know, like a jelly belly who never takes a stand, uh-uh. <laughs> yesterday, Paul Ryan took a stand. Here he is. I'd like to declare something that is just so obvious. It is. Laurel and not Yanny. All right. 
You know, Ryan's a stand-up guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. You hear it here first. Peter Welch on agree- some issues, yeah. right? Peter Welch agrees with Paul Ryan. I do. <laughs> on this do. one issue. Now, how about a vote on the Dreamers? Yeah, right. Yeah, while, right. Yeah, while we're at it, right? Yeah. Let's put that up there, yeah. All right. Well, it's interesting that our— They're hearing different things, How too. could we play that on the air and people listening or watching hear anything different? Isn't that wild? It is. Well, it is. I mean, uh, you've got to get uh, some neuroscientist in here to explain it, or maybe a, a, a philosopher. It, it is interesting. You yeah. Know, no, the people. Yeah. We, I, I I saw probably we processed, like, obviously, the same thing in different ways. I saw probably a dozen articles written about this yesterday, right? There's, there's like. Well, ta- tell us yeah. something. Well, there's, so, so there's some people that say, like, if you know what the words are. Before, like, if you know what you're listening to, for, for I should say, like, if you either hear it listening for Yanny or Laurel, sometimes you'll hear Yanny. But they say that people who have younger ears hear Yanny because their ears haven't been damaged, right? Like, you and I have been working in radio for a long time. My ears, I, you know, I'm 38, my ears are 80, right? Like, I've got bad ears. And you I got hear a Laurel. lot of bad things. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> so, like, I hear Laurel playing his day, but, like, that makes sense to me because I don't hear in the high register as much anymore. Anyhow, all right, that's a big uh, issue. But we of the got day. off to a good start. But you mentioned, <laughs> yes, or at least we all agree. You mentioned dreamers. That's interesting. Nobody talks about the dreamers anymore. Well, it's, 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 you know, it's an indictment of our political process. You know, I was listening to you a little bit before I came in, and you're talking about all the ethical uh, issues. Yeah. And it's an astonishing thing how, and this is what worries me most about the Trump administration, uh, we've lowered norms. They've just collapsed. You know, uh, I think citizens should be entitled to just, as a matter of fact, ex- expectation that uh, things will be on the level and honest, you know, like with Pruitt. It, you might totally disagree with his policies, but aren't we entitled to somebody who doesn't rip off taxpayers on self-indulgent trips, that type of thing? One would think, You would right? think, right, and and, and uh, that the president condones it. And then, of course, you have the president himself with uh, not disclosing uh, uh, the information that every single one of us has to disclose if we have obligations. It turned mm-hmm. out uh, the Stormy Daniels one wasn't disclose so uh, there the the scene here with just the personal uh, uh, self-indulgence of so many folks in the Trump administration is pretty appalling the, the, the you, I hear that a lot in terms of we can't accept this as the new norm right that a president would lie about basically everything right, right? or that a president would okay well yeah, so he had an affair. Yeah, so he paid her off. I mean, so, I mean, so, everybody, it's, it's, it's just say, yeah, yeah well, I, this I, is just, th- th- no, this is not what no, we expect from no, people I think, in a, You're entitled to, I think if citizens are entitled to have an expectation that uh, anyone in, in public office, whether it's a local select board or Congress, uh, is not going to be uh, personally enriching themselves. They're going to be. They're just going to be on the level, and then we'll have a debate about the policies. Right, but you know, um, we play this game, and and we always say no, we shouldn't do this. But um, imagine if this were a Democrat in the White House. It came out that any Democrat, right, Hillary or Barack yeah, Obama. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you look back in the and, Obama and these Republicans in the in in the Congress, they don't seem to give a damn, Congress. Your, well, your they colleagues. Don't. They, um, you know, I, I, I there's it, no criticism it, of Donald Trump from no, them. No, and they're, they're, it's, it's a real dilemma for them because a lot of them are in districts where the president is quite popular. So they're very hesitant to say uh, what they think because a lot of my colleagues I have a lot of respect for, but they're, they're, they feel politically jammed. 
But they are politically jammed, and I'm less concerned about them speaking about Trump, although at a certain point we have to. I'm more concerned about them not having uh, an insistence that we have the right to vote on things that are important to the American people. I'm more concerned that they aren't committed to an open process. So, for instance, like with the Dreamers, you know, two-thirds of Congress may be more if we had an opportunity to Mm -hmm. vote on that. Mm -hmm. It would pass. A lot of Republicans know that we should have legal status uh, for the Dreamers. You have told us that, and several people have told us that, that if this were brought to a standalone vote in the Congress, it would get over 300 votes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, and, and that's, frankly, I think there's more cynicism among the public about things like that, even than the president and Stormy Daniels, because they might put that in a category, that's him, and you know we don't like it, but it, yeah. it's not affecting our government. But in, uh, when it comes to something like a policy for the dreamers, we should vote. We should vote on that, and then people can know where we stand and hold us accountable. But the other things that are really, really bad, and this is, you know, why uh, uh, it's kind of amusing in a way that uh, Paul Ryan takes a s- strong stand that it's <laughs> Laurel. Laurel, okay? yeah. But he won't take a stand on letting us have an open process when it comes to reviewing the health care bill where they wanted to repeal it or the tax bill that added $2.3 trillion to the deficit and nobody saw the tax bill until mm-hmm. uh, it came out of the Speaker's office and went to uh, the Ways and Means Committee. So there's, there's a, a, a breakdown not just of norms about behavior and ethics, there's a breakdown of the entire process by which public policy that really has an impact uh, on everyday citizens is considered in Congress. That's that's in many ways much more uh, of concern to me. Now, let me add another issue to that, which uh, happened yesterday, and that is um, this. This is, I thought, remarkable. Uh, the Senate actually voted to override the uh, the FCC on the issue of net neutrality. Absolutely, that was great. And 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 several Republicans joined. I think every Democrat voted for it. Several Republicans. They said no. When the F- FCC took net neutrality away, and you know it was it took years under the Obama administration back and forth and study what they're going to do. They finally did. I believe the right thing. Right. To make sure that net neutrality doesn't become like cable television, you know, and uh, or the internet doesn't become like cable television. And and the FCC, this FCC, Donald Trump's FCC, appointed the guy who's a big opponent of net neutrality right. as the chair. The FCC so reversed the net neutrality, and the Senate yesterday overruled the FCC. Now, that comes to the House. Do you think it'll get a vote? I don't, and then we should. But yeah. And if you put net neutrality on the House floor, I think we'd get over 400 votes because there, here's the question it I ask. It is so pro-consumer. I yeah. asked some of my colleagues who think that we— they don't want to bring it up. I say, how many people, if you if you introduce me to one person who's come up to you and said, Member, Congressman, will you get rid of net neutrality? I said, I'll vote for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I haven't had a single person say to me, you know, we really got to get rid of this net neutrality thing. We have to let the, uh, Everybody the big providers, it. the internet providers, charge more, right? Well, exactly. And decide what you can see and where, how fast you go to this site or that site and yeah. Well, and it's no. not, it, you know the the internet providers they they uh, tell us everything will be fine. You know, just the we don't want to have us. regulation. I said, well, everything's fine, and you say it was fine. Why don't we legally make it a certain that it will main will will still be fine? No, that's it. But that's the broken process. And you know, if we started having to vote on things, it would be disruptive in a constructive way because we'd have to face <laughs> the issue. And there would be an engagement with citizens because they'd say, Peter, why did you do that? Or I'm glad you did it, whatever. And they'd be doing that to every single one of us. 
and they'd be engaged with us on this debate about immigration. They'd be engaged with us on this debate about net neutrality. But when we're just stonewalling and not even putting something on the floor, it's a total breakdown and people just throw their hands up and have no confidence that we'll get anything done. And that's on Ryan. It really is because he's in the House, the one person who can decide whether we, 435, get to vote yes or no is the speaker. And his unwillingness to put something on the floor means that he's lost faith uh, in the the democratic process of the House. Uh, I love the way you express it, that it would be disruptive in a constructive way. Right. But, but, but that's true. We're that's, engaged but, in the debate. It's not about Stormy. It's about uh, your Internet. It's about your small business. It's about your tax bill. You know, it's about things that actually make a difference. Where It's about in the fact, dreamers. It's about climate change. Yeah. It's about that's what you're there for, to debate mm-hmm. these issues, right? That's exactly. And, and move forward. Yeah. Ooh, our job. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, the fact is, it looks like, and the closer and closer we get to the midterms, more likely, that the only thing, so last year there was one major piece of legislation, mm-hmm. the tax cut. Right. This year, one major piece of legislation, the budget, right? The budget, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank God we got a budget, actually. But, well, but no, what, so what else is coming down? You know, my, in my view, nothing. It's very, very. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and people, a, people are fed up with that. It's and, appalling. And it's appalling. And, you know, operating at stall speed, uh, you crash. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> people don't like Congress, uh, understandably, but in fact, Congress must perform its job of considering policies that make it more possible for people to be successful back home. And if we don't do anything, then nothing happens, and people struggle at home. And, you know, my hope is inspired when I go back home and see how hard people are working to make things better to a partner at the federal level. And we're AWOL under this administration and with and with this leadership in Congress. Uh, a couple of Vermont issues I ask you about. Yesterday, <clears throat> headline, Vermont becomes the first state to permit drug imports from Canada. Isn't that great? I think it's great. It is yeah. great. Now, we've got to get a waiver. So uh, Patrick and Bernie and I are going to do all our best to get the waiver. But <clears throat> what Wa- you saw- Waiver from uh, HHS? Th- there's, that's right. Uh, okay. there's, there's federal <laughs> restrictions on our ability to do that. But just, you know, let's talk about this drug importation. Vermont in all states are just getting hammered. You know, the Medicaid program we have to pay, the taxpayers pay a lot, and, of course, citizens and employers pay a lot because they're providing a lot of health care mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. uh, for their employees. And uh, these, you know, these the pharma companies, they make some uh, uh, drugs that are life-extending and pain-relieving. That's good. But they're killing us with the prices, and it's just flat-out price gouging. Now, and there's no doubt you can get the same drug in Canada for half the price. Or less. Yeah. I mean, we're the only country where the government doesn't step in to protect citizens from price gouging by pharma. We're the only one. So we pay the highest prices in the world. And last week, Donald Trump said, <clears throat> I've got a big plan now to help consumers and lower drug prices. It didn't do anything. Well, right. question. What happened in the stock market to the pharma prices after the president spoke? <laughs> That's right. They went up. That's yeah. right. If because you... <laughs> because he didn't do anything. Yeah. He, yeah. It, it, it wasn't a kid gloves treatment. It's anything goes, fellas. You know, keep <clears throat> at it. You guys are making a lot of money. Keep at it. So yeah. his, his, his and, and this is after, by the way, Elijah Cummings. I know one of the people you like a lot. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and he and I were invited to the White House, I think, in March of last year. We met with President Trump about our 
price negotiation bill. You know, we think we ought to be able to negotiate prices. Yeah, yeah. We're 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 buying uh, wholesale and paying retail. Uh, you know, that's not something that Donald Trump does. He, yeah, he, he buys wholesale and doesn't pay at all. Apparently, a lot, <laughs> a lot of times. <clears throat> but the bottom line here, he told us very explicitly, he's for importing uh, prescription drugs from Canada. He said that's fine, and he gets it. Uh, and this is what's so cynical about it. Uh, he was for importation. He was for price negotiation. You know, if he's building a Trump Tower and he's got a thousand mirrors, he's got to buy. He's not going to pay a per unit uh, right. cost. Yeah, like, like right. he's buying five. Well, what right? happened? Alex Azar comes in as HHS secretary. You know what? Is he wasn't it? serious. Because he look, he will get who he wants to get his policy. Look what he's done to Tillerson. Just booted him out unceremoniously, uh, and he's got the, the secretary of state he wants. All right. So yeah. Azar is the guy he wants, and he comes out of Eli Lilly and obviously right. has no commitment to uh, lowering prescription drug prices. Uh, so what I see about th- – this is a real example of the fraudulent populism of President Trump. He – in that meeting with us, it was very clear to me that he understood what a ripoff it was by the pharma companies. They've got pricing power. They're exploiting it. He's doing it. It was also clear to me – that he understood politically what a powerful issue this was because he did connect mm-hmm. yeah, yes, with folks yes, in middle yes, America yes. and all around who feel like they're getting ripped off. Right. And then when it comes time for him to use the power he was given, he does use that power, but on behalf of pharma. Uh, he Not goes, on behalf of us. He doesn't help the people getting ripped off. He helps the people ripping them off. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, but we are, like the federal government, right, the biggest customer. We're the biggest customer. Of Prescription drugs, right? right? And, and I mean, this is Medicare, one of the, Medicaid. It, VA. That's right. And when the Medicare Part D program uh, was passed, that was under George Bush, and it extended drug coverage to folks on Medicare. There was a provision that was put in the bill uh, by pharma, largely, that said uh-huh. we can't legally negotiate bulk price discounts. Now, by the way, that's an inversion of the way the market works. Yeah. You know, you've got yeah, a buyer, of you've course, got a seller. Of course. And sellers can have power if they've got market dominance. Yeah, buyers yeah. can have some power if they're buying uh, bulk. So we distorted the market and literally and, made it. And that uh, prohibition is still there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that prohibition is still there. So it's Vermont go. is saying we're going to allow it. Uh, so, But, but <clears throat> Vermont can Vermont do it on its own? We can't do it on our own, and that's I how I mentioned I the it. waiver. Yeah. So yeah. Patrick, Bernie, and I have to try now to get a waiver out of HHS, which, you know, if Donald Trump is at all true to his rhetoric, sure, uh, sure. let the states experiment and uh, let us uh, do drug importation. And this question of safety that the drug companies bring up is totally bogus because, you know, they manufacture oh. a lot of their drugs yeah. abroad, yeah. and we have FDA uh, uh, inspectors who inspect uh, facilities abroad now, that are going to send their drugs to the U.S. All right. Now, Congressman, there are, I know, uh, online pharmacies mm-hmm. located in Canada mm-hmm. that Americans do use to buy right. some drugs. Is that right. illegal? I don't know. I don't know how that works. Uh, but it's another indication of the desperate situation folks are in. They can't pay for I mean, the medicine go, they need. If you Google or something, right. Canadian pharmacies, Tons of them come up. That's right. But, it, you know, a citizen shouldn't have to go through that, all right? The, I, uh, you, a citizen— Totally agree. Yeah, you need yeah. the medication. You ought to be able to get it. And you have to be—you should be entitled to a fair price. So it's very dis, it's very disappointing but not surprising given the way uh, President Trump has been acting. Right. Um, 
I think you may, you and I may have talked about this before, but I just finished reading Jeff Weaver's book. Um, oh, you did about the 2016 campaign. Uh, how Bernie won. Jeff is going to be in a little bit later today to talk about the book, um, and he talks in here about uh, and you and I think you and I have talked about this that Vermont at one time was on the track toward single payer. That's right. And Governor Shumkin, wasn't it? Shumlin. Right. Shumlin. Shumlin. Who pulled the plug. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It, you know, what we saw is that it's extremely difficult for a single state to wrap its arms around the entire health care system, uh, especially with the fragmentation of payers. So you've got individuals who have employer-sponsored health care. Some of those, if they're under the so-called ERISA program, mm -hmm. uh, are not subject to state law. You've got Medicare, you've got Medicaid, and then you have uh, uh, your 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 uh, your other self-insured and private-insured uh, uh, payments. So, can you get to have a single payer? You basically have to get everybody under one roof to organize it, and that uh, proved to be the biggest challenge that we face because the, what the state was able to potentially uh, have under the jurisdiction of single payer was quite limited compared to the overall universe of healthcare, Medicare, Medicaid, yeah. et cetera. But what I do see today, uh, particularly in these midterm elections, uh, is that more people now are using the phrase Medicare for all, which I think is a better phrase. Well, I do too, yeah. Uh, but candidates are embracing this at every level around the country. I mean, I can tell you in California, the front runner for governor of California is Gavin Newsom, who's the right. lieutenant governor. Uh, he's never been a real wacko lefty, you know. He, he's pretty pretty right. centrist, left of center, I'd say. Right. One of his big issue is Medicare for all. Well, that's right. And I think it's what an, it it's reflects. It's an issue I think that's finally kind of getting it, some resonance. It is. And I think what Medicare for traction. all, I think, says um, is that we want to have a health care system <laughs> where everybody is covered and everybody helps pay. Yeah. All right? Because uh, in it, Medicare, sense. Medicare, of course, is very popular. You know, yeah, it is yeah, in fact yeah. a single payer system, but for people sixty five and older, right? And it works. You get to pick your doctor. You get to go to the hospital you want. And there are some cost controls in there. And one of the most important things for us to focus on now is the cost of health care that's outstripping our ability to pay for it. And you know, pharma is the fastest rising sure, component sure. of health care, but all around. You know, you go in the hospital and you come out, you might be there for two hours and come out with a $5,000 bill. I mean, who can afford that, right? And whether it's a taxpayer paying, an individual paying, or your employer, that's too much if it keeps going up 10% mm -hmm. a year or whatever. So I think the Medicare for All uh, concept is an acknowledgement uh, that we have to have a system that uh, covers everybody, uh, but it also is sustainable uh, financially. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways to get from here to there, uh, but it has to be our goal. Is there um, a, a, a number? Of, well, it's supporting Congress. Are there? Do you know a lot of members of Congress who would vote for Medicare for all? Oh yeah, I do. I mean, there's a Medicare for all bill. I, I've been a co-sponsor of, and I think we have over 100 uh, co-sponsors. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and. It, it, Again, getting it, a vote it, is another thing. But. Well, getting a vote, and, and the, you know, the, the health care, when we get into the actual doing of it, it's going to be very tough because we've got this system that's been built up since the Second yeah, World War yeah. where there's lots of relationships. And it, won't, it won't change overnight, right? It, it wouldn't change overnight, but the goal is very clear. You know, all other countries do have a health care system where pretty much uh, industrialized countries where everybody is covered and it's affordable and sustainable. 
uh, and some of them have single payer, uh, like Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have government run, uh, like uh, Great Britain, and some have a hybrid, uh, like Switzerland right. uh, in France. And so the the prize here is affordable, sustainable, and universal health care. Yeah. And I think the Medicare for All is an easy way of saying that because it it refers to a program that has been very, very successful. Uh, and people understand what that means. It's Medicare. Right. And everything's good with Ben and Jerry in Vermont? Ben and Jerry, are, you know, their ice cream. They're you, the best. You, you, they, what can you say? I mean, <laughs> their ice cream is the best, and they are the best as well. And uh, you too, Congressman. Thanks so much for coming Thank you. In. Always great to see you. Hunter Walker joins us next from Yahoo News. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Happy anniversary. Robert Mueller, yes, indeed, hired one year ago today. And um, Rudy Giuliani this morning saying that Robert Mueller cannot indict a sitting president of the United States. Yeah, we'll see about that. Hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Thursday, Thursday, May 17, it is The Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. And thank you for joining us. Here we are in our nation's capital and reaching out to you everywhere you are in this great land of ours with all the news of the day. Uh, we'll bring you uh, up to date on what's going on. You tell us what it all means to you on many, many different fronts. You know how to do so. Go on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show, and send us your comments. Uh, the big news, uh, well, on several fronts, but a lot Robert Mueller related yesterday on this first anniversary. Uh, the Mueller team is sending out a subpoena uh, for an associate of Roger Stone. Remember him? He, him, he pops up again. Senate Intelligence Committee yesterday saying there was no doubt the Russians were up to helping Donald Trump in, 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 with their uh, meddling in the 2016 election. And the Senate Judiciary Committee says there's no doubt that that famous meeting at Trump Tower in June 2016, uh, called by Donald Trump Jr., was to get dirt from Russians on Hillary Clinton. How can we get through all of that without our man at the White House, Hunter Walker? He is here from Yahoo News to help us through the next half hour. Hunter, good to see you. Good to see you. Happy Robert Mueller Day. Happy Robert Mueller Day. (laughs) Let me wish you a hearty no collusion and witch hunt. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, Donald Trump did tweet about the occasion. Uh, Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, he has tweeted this morning. I'm just going to pull it up really quickly because Uh um, he acknowledged that it it is the one-year anniversary, and he says... Uh, congratulations, America. We are now into the second year of the greatest witch hunt in American oh. history, and there is still no collusion and I no obstruction. 
The only collusion was that done by Democrats who were unable to win an election despite the spending of far more money. Uh, I noticed another tweet here. The word seems yeah. to be coming out that the Obama FBI spied on the Trump campaign. Come on. With an embedded informant. And if you hear Bill's inflection there, that's because part of that tweet, and this is the best part of Trump tweets, it's just randomly capitalized. Yeah, it yeah, says, yeah, 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 spied yeah. on the Trump campaign <laughs> with an embedded inform. And I think yeah. embedded is, is kind of questionably spelled there as well. That's fun. <laughs> okay, so we get right into it with Hunter uh, and with all of you. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. I told you last hour we would talk NHL playoffs. Well, here's mm-hmm. where we stand. We are down to essentially the final four. There was a game versus the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Washington Capitals on Tuesday night. Uh, the Lightning won that four games to two, but the Capitals are still ahead. Two games to one. They pick that series up again tonight. Oh, I thought it was last night. Tonight. Okay. Tonight at eight o'clock, uh, we will we will uh, see where that series goes. Capitals will either take a three to one lead or the series will be tied. Meanwhile, mm. the Winnipeg Jets and the Las Vegas Golden Knights, which have really taken the NHL by storm, they are also tied two games to one. There, they had a game last night that the Golden Knights won, which puts them on top, two games to one. Uh, tomorrow night will be their their next game. So Boy, a, now that we can uh, do sports betting, yeah, right now yeah, all of a I sudden you're into it, huh? On the caps there, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, let's go to uh, a, a, a flight to Alaska. A pastor at Alaska Airlines flight from Seattle to Anchorage got up, took off all of his clothes, oh my God. and ran down the aisle towards the back of the plane. Uh, the pa- there was a passenger. Did he have the bathroom? There was a Yahoo News reporter on board that plane. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, Yahoo oh, no News way. is everywhere. Yes, Yahoo Finance's Dan Roberts um, tweeted, we just landed. Before landing, a guy, quote, looks like early 20s, sprinted up and down the full length of the plane completely <laughs> naked, yelling. Very scary at first. All are okay. Many now laughing. Guy is restrained in back of plane. <laughs> Well done. Nice job, is, Yahoo. Yeah. Yahoo. Well, yeah, you don't need me to tell the story. That's great, man. <laughs> yeah, he was he was embedded. We had a spy on board the plane. <laughs> Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. On a Thursday, May 17, uh, hello, everybody. What do you say? It is The Bill Press Show, live from a very rainy Washington, D.C., and reaching out to you uh, all over this great land of ours, around the globe as well, coming to you on uh, every platform we know on uh, online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and, of course, on the great uh, WCPT, throughout the greater Chicago area, the big progressive voice of Chicago in studio with us uh, from the White House, uh, well, who covers the White House for (laughs) Yahoo News, uh, important distinction there, uh, Hunter Walker, uh, who was uh, on pool duty the night the prisoners came home from... um, from uh, North Korea, usually pool duty gets over about five or five thirty uh, in the afternoon when they call a lid. 
your day went into early hours of the next day. Yeah, I mean, he... Um, you were out at Andrews Air Force Base at what time? He was on the tarmac with the returnees <laughs> at right about 3 a.m., which, of course, meant that I was home at something more like... Five, you know, huh? Five, yeah. Um, it, was, it was a marathon, marathon day. Um, you know, and it, of course, started with the normal day where I think Trump actually surprised his staff by telling us, hey, let's all go out to the Air Force Base at two in the morning. Um, Smart move on his part. Yeah, I mean, the the optics were very, very good. They brought yeah. out these fire trucks that suspended a, a giant flag. American yeah. flag. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, there has been some criticism of the president for both putting these guys in front of cameras when they'd just gotten back from a traumatic experience and also for saying um you know that kim jong-un acted excellently with regards to them i'm gonna say that you know these are detainees coming home this is a good thing we can say it's a good thing yeah and i think and and politically it was smart for trump to do this it was a huge photo op but 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 also let's not discount what kim jong-un might want in this situation and that they're in the midst of negotiations. And if he yeah. says something like, thank you for this, yeah, heaps yeah. praise on him for sending the people home. If he gives Kim Jong-un a photo op, too, really, there may be an end there that we're not recognizing. Oh, right. Uh, the funny part was, of course, Donald Trump did did mention how good this was for ratings. Yes. That, he, he said <laughs> he, he probably, he, he claimed, and, and I, I should actually fact check this, but he claimed that he likely got a record for the 3 a.m. hour. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you know, most Americans did not wait up to watch Jeff Zeleny and I uh, on the tarmac, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now, before we get into the news of the day, we have to uh, get your um, get you to stand up here and take us. Yeah, you have to take a stand. Okay, uh, none of this reporter BS that you can see both ways. You have Uh-oh. to take a stand uh, on the biggest issue that confronted this nation yesterday. It was a computer generated voice that went viral. Oh. So just tell us, listen, please tell us what word you hear. Laurel. Laurel. Um, Laurel. Mm-hmm. I'm a solid laurel. laurel. You're a solid laurel. Which I believe, uh, now that I've read about this, means that my ears are rotted. I went to too many concerts, and, and I can't hear the joys of Yanny. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife is sure she heard Gary. So she's, Gary. she's really the only person in America in that camp. Okay, now Peter is a laurel. Yeah, I'm laurel. I'm laurel. Okay, but we had we had some people on on Twitter, yes, who are all over the place, right? Yeah. Like we've had a lot of different people. Uh, so the, listeners and viewers are all over the place. I can't believe anybody would hear anything <laughs> other than Laurel. We They're had a different frequency, man. <laughs> my, fa- my favorite hey, comment. What was the, the Dan Rather thing? What's the frequency? What's, What's the, the frequency, frequency Kenneth? Kenneth? Yes. What's the frequency, Kenneth? Uh, uh, Ingrid, my favorite comment on this is from Ingrid. Uh, she says, both my husband and I are listening to the show on the same device at the same time. He heard Yanny. I heard Laurel. Ingrid, you got to leave the man. <laughs> it's not going to work out. They obviously haven't been going to the same concerts together. I guess. <laughs> right. Okay. Ingrid had a secret life as a metalhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we do want you to know that Paul Ryan has a reputation for ducking and for never taking a stand on anything, uh-uh, that is no longer the case. Yesterday, you talk about a stand-up guy. Here he is. I'd like to declare something that is just so obvious. It is Laurel and not Yanny, all right? 
Case closed. <laughs> Case closed. I mean, that, see, that once is... I heard him say that, I was like, oh, it's Yanny then. It's got to be Yanny. It's good to see that bold leadership has not left Congress. And I will note, I, I follow a couple Capitol Hill reporters, and, and some people were giving them grief for asking such a silly question, um, which I always support silly questions. But um, they you've actually— asked, You've asked a few in your life. Yes, yes. But they actually pointed out that many of the members were volunteering this. So this was an issue oh, that members oh. of Congress yes. wanted to take a stand on and get out in front of. <laughs> well, when they don't take a stand on anything else, <laughs> they were so glad to find something they could take a stand yeah, on. I, I'm like not that. sure who's in the okay. Yanny caucus, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> okay. So back to North Korea, you are, and back to silly questions, you are the one that night who asked Donald Trump whether he deserved the Nobel Peace Prize. Um <laughs> Is any talk of the Nobel Peace Prize over now that North Korea looks like they could scuttle the debate? Well, it, that was actually in the cabinet meeting that morning. Oh, uh-huh. Um, yeah. And a couple of us had talked, you know, I mean, first off, it, it was these Republican these Republicans had floated the idea that he should get it. What's interesting is, as some people have pointed out, they did send a letter calling for that, um, not only before the situation's really resolved, but also after the deadline. So it's not oh. clear that he would be <laughs> eligible this year. But, you know, we like to try to get the president going in these post sprays oh, yeah. because yeah. he doesn't do um, press conferences. So I thought that was a good one. And, yeah, and absolutely. It, it did work. But, so, um, but what is the reaction to, do they think this whole thing's going to fall apart now? The summit, or what are they? You know, if if you really look at his language um, about his. it, uh, Donald Trump's, uh-huh. he's been very clear that you know anything could happen, um, and yeah. that you know this was a beginning. Even in answer to that question, I asked him. He said, you know, the ultimate prize will be when we end nuclear proliferation worldwide, not just in North mm. Korea. Um, which you know that's an interesting policy position yeah. for a yeah. U.S. president, but we'll we'll get to that later. I'm assuming. Um, but you know, I think they they know that this could be a curvy, bumpy road, and at the same time, they are very committed to doing this summit. Um, you know, anybody who follows North Korea uh, and knows North Korea knows they're going to throw a couple curveballs. Um, try to extract things at the last minute. Um, I think at this point, given that the White House took so much credit for it, Trump's really committed to going, um, and we'll see and he what he like gets out. Would like to see it happen. Yeah, I think he would like to see the summit happen. I think he's a guy who has supreme confidence in his own powers of negotiation. He has a lot of confidence in his relationship with President Xi, who um, in statements at the tarmac or, or in the cabinet room, I forget which one, it was such a long day, but he hinted that Xi helped him out with something very specific that he couldn't name um, as part mm. of this process. So I, I think he's got a lot of faith in his ability to forge personal relationships and to leverage the one he has with Xi to get a positive result here. Um, they do seem to be in an intractable position because the North Korean position is we will never accept denuclearization. The American position is denuclearization is the only way. Um, I would never want to guess what either Trump or Kim is going to do. Um, but if I had to guess, if I was forced to, yeah. I would say that probably you know North Korea really wants recognition and they really want to be part of the world more than anything else. And I think that's the bet the White House is making. And wouldn't you, I mean, the, the outcome that we could reasonably expect, I guess, is the beginnings of negotiations about de- denuclearization to come out of the summit. I mean, there's not going to be any decision made then and there. The world's not going to change No, we, we have seen them talking about um, breaking apart a test site. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I think we may see steps. 
one thing that I think is really interesting with both North Korea and Iran, and it's sort of the wild card here, um, as we see Donald Trump practice his unique freewheeling diplomacy, um, you know, experts have never really gotten an answer for how North Korea seems to have sped up their timeline on the nuclear program so quickly. Mm. There seems to have been a mysterious third party who came in and helped North Korea get a lot of improvements on their nuclear technology. Because hmm. um, if you remember, as recently yeah. as 2015, yeah. we were saying there was no chance they would have a weapon that would strike and the U.S. And suddenly they've got the, the Intercontinental that, that they could hit Chicago. Right. Yeah. So someone intervened there. And so I think the question China. becomes, whatever happens with North Korea and Iran, there's somebody out there who can you know, vastly hmm. Um, hmm. speed up their timeline and put them on track to a nuclear weapon. So any temporary we, result we get could be overturned. And the same thing goes for the Iran deal that now is totally up in the air. Right. All right. So happy anniversary, Robert Mueller. Uh, yesterday, Robert Mueller issues another subpoena uh, to this guy, Jason Sullivan, Southern California, um, um, in the social media, who is working with Roger Stone's <laughs> PAC in the 2016 campaign. What does this tell you about where Mueller is going? I, 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 it tells me that there's no collusion and that it's a total witch hunt because oh, I see, of course. if there's anyone who was behaving totally above board and super legally during the 2016 election, it was Roger Stone. <laughs> I'm waiting. For, I'm waiting for the laugh. Yeah, right. I mean, look. When you hear Roger Stone, you know, right? There's something. If you read um, the, you know, 2,500 pages of transcripts that um, the Senate Judiciary Republicans released yesterday, um, it becomes clear that you know Hill investigators. And we get a little more of a window into their questions, uh, uh, into their interest than mm -hmm. we do into Mueller's. Um, are very interested in the social media thing. Um, Don Jr. was asked about, um, you know, pro-Trump pages that were set up on VK, VKontakt, the Russian Facebook, where um, Edward mm. Snowden briefly worked, interestingly. Mm -hmm. um, mm. You know, there's been a lot of intrigue into these bots and Facebook pages and what have you. And, you know, questions were asked of Trump Jr. about um, DMs he had with WikiLeaks, the same thing that has been an issue for Roger Stone. So I think one major avenue that all the investigators are looking at is, you know, in these instances where Russian companies and, and government entities were putting out messages online, did they have any coordination with people like Roger Stone, people like Trump Jr.? Wasn't Jared Kushner in charge of social media? I mean, Jared Kushner's in charge of everything. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> He's in charge of the Mideast. He's in charge of innovation. Of but no, he did During have the a campaign. Wasn't that his role? Yeah. And, and any re uh, any reader, sorry, any listener who's interested in this should check out the really boasting Forbes article he did where he and Brad Parscale um, basically took credit for the whole digital operation. Mm. Um, and, you know, as these investigations tend to do, it, it kind of starts outward and starts with fringe figures like Roger Stone and Robert Goldstone, the, the weird music promoter who um, was at mm -hmm. the Trump Tower meeting mm -hmm. um, and may be working up towards the official social media apparatus of the campaign. We, we just don't know. But there is, you know, there's, it's clear, and, and Senate Intel has backed this up as well, that the Russians were active in a pro-Trump way on social media. Mm -hmm. So was the campaign completely unaware of that and removed from that, or were they involved? And I think certainly with WikiLeaks, they were clearly involved. And uh, so out of these transcripts yesterday, and I haven't read all 20, yeah. 2,500 pages, but uh, some of the excerpts, um, it was clear that the meeting was held 
for the purpose of getting, they thought they were getting dirt on, on Hillary. Donald Trump Jr., Donald Jr. opens the meeting by saying, we understand you have information for us. Uh, and that after the meeting, they were disappointed. All they heard about was adoption. Uh, didn't get much on Hillary. And he made a couple of phone calls to a blocked phone number. Yeah, I mean, I, I found... He says he doesn't remember who the blocked phone number. I found the mysterious blocked number to be um, the most interesting part of those transcripts. Um, and a thing for your listeners to keep in mind, 2,500 pages of documents, but really other than that strange incident of the mysterious blocked call, we didn't see anything there that fundamentally changed our understanding of the Trump Tower meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, if you yeah. read the emails so, that Trump Jr. himself put out, he basically solicited dirt. Um, he said he went to hear them out and was disappointed with the result. Right. And, you know, he was asked, well, if they had presented dirt, would you have gone to law enforcement? What would you have done? And he said, well, I didn't need to do anything because they um, didn't present dirt. Um, so nothing has changed that story. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting here is, again, these documents were released by Chuck Grassley. So this is a Republican. Yeah. yeah. And I think there are senators on the Democratic side of that same committee who um, might have their own information that they'd like to release. Um, and, I, you know, from what I've heard, there's sort of an ongoing debate there. Um, and so this is this is sort of the the GOP version. This is this is right. maybe a, a more legitimate version of Devin Nunes, but it is nonetheless somewhat partisan. Yeah. And now at the same time, the. Other, another Senate committee yesterday, yeah. Senate Intelligence Committee, issued its latest findings where they say, no doubt, no doubt. And Peter, let's pull up uh, Mark Warner, that third uh, uh, cut of his, where uh, he, he says what he believes that the Russians were up to in 2016. Here's the ranking Democrat, but Richard Burr, the chairman, says the same thing. I absolutely believe that Russia intervened. intervened. With, on the basis of helping Mr. Trump and hurting Hillary Clinton. I think that ICA conclusion is accurate. Now, again, we've heard that before. A lot of us believe that. The House Intelligence Committee said just the opposite. But it's pretty significant. The Senate Intelligence Committee, which has been doing a much more serious investigation, Republican and Democrat, again, they come forth and say... No doubt, this is what the Russians were up to. Yeah, and, and that gets at what I was uh, sort of alluding to yeah. before. The, the Senate Intel Committee, you know, presented much stronger findings and a much stronger conclusion. Um, Senate Judiciary essentially just, you know, presented a massive right. data dump of, Threw of it out there. Yeah. stuff that we basically already knew. Mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't say that we necessarily saw everything that any of these committees have seen. Right. Um, at the same time yesterday, was, there's so many pieces <laughs> falling yesterday. The Office of Government Ethics uh, did something very, very unusual. Uh, they sent a letter to the Department of Justice saying, you might want to investigate this latest filing that uh, President Trump did yesterday where in a, for his uh, financial mm -hmm. uh, report. He puts a little footnote in there. Oh, yeah, by the way, I paid my attorney over $100,000 yeah. for something, yeah. right? I mean, this is the this is the Stormy Daniels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this has been widely reported to be an official acknowledgement of the Stormy Daniels payment. And according to the OGE, the Office of Government Ethics, it, this was paid last year, and he should have reported it on last year's form, and he didn't. And so they're saying, DOJ, you might want to look into whether this is a violation of ethics. Okay, so this is we're getting into a, a pet peeve of mine here. Um, 
Stormy Daniels, and in in no small part thanks to her um, ubiquitous on cable news lawyer <laughs> Michael Avenatti, who yeah. I mean, if he's paid by the minute of TV time, may be the richest man in America at this point. Um, but Stormy Daniels has really dominated the headlines around Trump and Cohen. And no doubt, as you were pointing out, both in terms of his ethical obligations and financial disclosures and campaign finance laws, there are likely some violations there, uh, uh, mm-hmm. potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I think that is the least serious thing swirling around Michael Cohen and Donald Trump. And I would really encourage people to, to not get stuck on that. Because, you know, FEC violations, um, I, I've caught Paul Ryan in one, um, they don't tend to have you know, the strongest consequences um, and things like messing up your forms. I mean, how many times has Jared oh, revised yeah, oh, his? F- yeah, yeah, like I think five or something. Right? No, no. J- Jared Kushner has had to revise um, some of his disclosure forms like hundred over a hundred oh, times. Oh, no, really? Yeah, yeah, oh, the, no, the security oh, yeah. ones with foreign yeah, contacts. Yeah, so, I mean. oh. so, you know, some of this stuff, uh, it's, 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 Yes, these are technically violations and they involve a porn star, so we're all going to be talking about them. But, you know, what's more serious to me is when we saw the FBI do this raid on Michael Cohen's home, hotel, and office. This was about his taxi business, his personal real estate portfolio. Yes, the payments to the women, but also Trump Moscow. And in the case mm-hmm. of the taxi mm-hmm. business and the real estate portfolio, these are both businesses, you know, valued. He has a $50 million apartment building, $30 million in taxi medallions. There's ties to Russian figures with questionable pasts. Um, there's questions about how he got this money. Um, so that, to me, is is a much more interesting. What's um, Donald Trump's role in all that? So that's what's interesting. Um, I did a story a while back Bob Mueller was asking questions about Michael Cohen for weeks before the raid. They included the payments to the women, the taxis, the real estate, and Trump Moscow. He referred the bulk of it over to the Southern District in New York. And that's why you see this case now about the Mm -hmm. payments to the women, the taxis, and the real estate. He did not refer Trump Moscow. So I believe that Bob Mueller has left open the possibility that the efforts to build Trump Moscow in 2015 and 2016 could still be part of his probe. Mm-hmm. And and to me, all of this stuff is the more interesting stuff about Michael Cohen. And I'd really encourage people to read. I've, I've done a couple pieces on this, but also um, Josh Marshall over at Talking Points Memo, he was way out ahead in, in chronicling Michael Cohen and sort of how much money was involved in him and how extensive his ties are to Russian organized crime figures, including a relative he had that was operating a club used as a headquarters for a Russian organized crime group, a very powerful one in the 90s. So there's a lot going on there. I mean, the smoke is pouring out of this and we're all talking about Stormy, which is essentially like an adjacent brush fire started by an ember. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, And we don't know, as you you said, but just kind of summing up here, we don't really know how involved Donald Trump might have been or how much he knew about it, but but Michael Cohen is his personal attorney. They yeah. did business deals together, right? I, I mean, mean, throughout the campaign, uh, you know, Michael Cohen was a TV surrogate. I, I did stories yeah. about how he essentially, uh, funny because he's a Jewish guy from Long Island, but he ran minority outreach programs for Donald Trump. Um, and he, I did a story about how he had this ambitious plan to, as he put it, win, quote, 100% of the black vote, which didn't entirely pan out. Uh, um, no. But, right. you know, he presented himself as this guy who had a decade of um, work at the Trump Organization and was one of the president's closest and most fiercely loyal 
um, people. And, you know, in the case of, of Trump Moscow, this is something where based on their own explanations, which which have shifted a little bit, um, we know that Trump signed a letter of intent, um, was looped in and on at least three points um, in that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there is some... You mean in terms of a, hot- a hotel deal or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to build a Trump Tower right, in Moscow. Right. Yeah, um, and then and then separately, um, you know, the way that Michael Cohen seems to have gotten in the Trump orbit is that a bunch of his family members um, bought properties in Trump buildings, which you know is an interesting way to get money into the Trump organization. Yes, from yes. in this case, Michael Cohen's family, um, both he and his brother married Ukrainian women. And their in-laws are the people who were buying these apartments and going into business with them. Um, And, you know, that came up again in the Grassley transcripts because um, another interesting moment, Don Jr. was asked about that um, infamous quote he had at a real estate conference where he said um, a disproportionate disproportionate part of our assets comes from Russia. Mm -hmm. I know know that phrase, um, a disproportionate cross-section was in there. Um, And he was asked about that and he was saying, look, look, these are not, when I said that, I wasn't meaning that, you know, um, investors sort of at the top level in our developments, our partners are not Russian, but um, people buying the condos are. And you can look at a lot of Trump buildings and see this, and you can see that some of these Russians buying um, the condos in, in Trump buildings, paying cash for them, have some pretty interesting speckled records. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, doesn't Ivanka Trump play into this, have a role in all of this too, in that she was managing some of these buildings? I'm not 100% sure. I, I know in the Moscow building, um, part of the deal was that it was going to include an Ivanka branded spa, like the one <laughs> like the one we have in D.C. The, the you know, I think they call it the spa by Ivanka Trump. Yeah. Yeah. My, the- my colleague, Mike Isakoff, in his book, um, he, he chronicled um, parts of what was then known about that deal. And he noted that the Ivanka spa was a big part of the negotiations. Um, there's another one. I just read about one of the, uh, whether it's in Indonesia or, um, or the property down in Panama City. Well, I mean, both of those are incredibly interesting properties. Um, the Panama City one, um, there was kind of a dispute between Trump and the local owners. And yeah, I, you yeah. know, I, I, I you think they took his name off the building. Th- yeah. And as they were fighting it, there was this bizarre scene where one of the guys was playing piano in the lobby as police stormed in. I would, I would really <laughs> encourage people to give that one a Google. I don't, I don't know all the twists and turns. And then in Indonesia, you have this situation where the Chinese government invested half a billion dollars into this property that will benefit Donald Trump. I don't think it was, it wasn't directly into one of his developments, but it was sort of this area where he's hoping mm-hmm. to build. Right. Um, so that investment could be great for him. And right after that, you see him, you know, do a great deal for a Chinese phone company. And Raj Shah is standing up at the White House saying, you know, this is this is a non-relevant now, question. I want to ask you about that. Uh, Hunter Walker with us from Yahoo News covers the White House for Yahoo News, yahoo.com. I mean, they're everywhere. They even had a reporter on that plane where the guy sprinted down the aisle naked. Do we never heard whatever happened to him? I don't know. Let me when DM. Plane... I'm going to DM Dan right now and get you get, try to get okay. you the exclusive. DM, get the exclusive yeah. one. This, our, this is our man in Anchorage who saw the screaming naked man aboard the plane. Well, I can tell you one of the things that happened. There was a passenger on the plane uh, that saw this happening and stood up and slapped the naked man and slapped subdued him. him. 
Yeah, passengers pounced upon the man and they subdued him for the rest of the flight. You know, that's a tough thing about when someone's losing it and they're naked. Yeah. You know, like you want to stop them, but right. you also don't want to touch them. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure where I'd fall on that. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, I, I'd like to help, but also eh, not really something I want to get involved in. I prefer my crazy people fully clothed. Yeah. That, you know, streaking was a thing, but that was a long time don't ago. Don't do it on an airplane, though. No. You no. Know, Never did it on an airplane, I would hope. Uh, I no, know. I have, I have engaged in streaking. Okay, all right. I was waiting for but you to not say on, on an airplane. airplane. Okay, all right. No. As long as you didn't do it on an airplane, you're fine. Bill Press Show World Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners were not expecting that one. <laughs> Forget Michael Cohen, people. <laughs> uh, I would admit that alcohol may have been involved. Uh, yeah. Usually is in these situations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but we'll stop right there. Yeah. Okay. Just, just, we have the word out to, to get. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I DM'd him, although I will say when I pulled up his Twitter account, um, the last thing was an image of some Alaskan mountains with a note that said out of office. So, oh, yeah, so well, I'm not I, sure we're going to get a quick scoop on this. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, this ZTE, the Chinese um, big electronics company, it, it, it was strange this week that suddenly after going all this trade trade war against yeah. China, tariffs yeah. against China, and then Donald Trump says, oh, they're losing too many jobs. We have to save those 75,000 <laughs> Chinese jobs. Yeah. Where did that come from? I mean, it's essentially the polar opposite of everything Trump has said. And it's even more interesting because this company, ZTE, has actually in some ways been deemed a security threat by the U.S. government. Um, you know, they, they, are, they were not allowed at one point to... Um, have their wares sold to government contractors um, because it was, you know, it was a potentially a Kaspersky type situation where um, there might have been, um, you know, sort of weaknesses or deliberate vulnerabilities in there so the Chinese could access information. Um, so to see him, you know, a, you know, angling for foreign jobs with uh, China, his biggest, his biggest uh, bogeyman on that front. Yeah. And then with a company that's a security threat, it was strange. And as I was saying before, it, it, it brought up questions about that real estate deal. Um, I think, you know, potentially a, a, a more generous explanation to the White House is, as we were saying before, um, he's relying on President Xi to help him a lot with North Korea. Um, and Xi so, needs to be a partner there. So this may have been the, the gimme on that front. But who knows? Right. Uh, and was there any... Other than this, um, the the hotel in Indonesia, was there any Trump family money or Trump team money or Trump organization money? We don't. I mean, you know, it's you'll forgive me. I would never be able to speak comprehensively about all the all the pots they have their hands in. But we do know that um, Jared Kushner's company has tried to do a lot of business in China. And if you'll remember, they were soliciting um, investors into their buildings, basically saying, hey, put cash into a Kushner building. You can get yeah. visas. Right. So, you know, China's China's fertile ground if you're if you're looking for uh, real estate cash. God, well, you, you're going to run hard to keep up with all this stuff, dude. I mean, it's you know? it's it's wild. La- last night we saw like five stories break about yeah. Michael Cohen. Yeah. I was literally DMing Michael Cohen trying to get a million dollars out of the cutter for. For access to the White House, yeah, right? and then um, Ronan Ronan Farrow reporting that um, you know the person uh, in law enforcement who leaked details about Cohen's bank account to Stormy Daniels's lawyer, Michael Avenatti, did so because they were worried those reports had been pulled out of the FinCEN government database and essentially thought there might be a cover up by the Treasury Department. And then I had a story that um, Cohen was working on that Trump Tower Moscow deal months after he's previously 
said he stopped all the way up until May 2016, right ahead of the presidential election when he was contemplating um, going over to Russia. And, yeah. you know, and I, I DM'd a friend and he was like, oh, my God, there's like so much Michael Cohen. And I said, a very merry Michael Cohen must to you. You know, it's like <laughs> it was a Michael Cohen day last night. You know, what? It's, some, it's like it'd be nice if we had a day or a weekend with where nothing happens and we could just let everything shake down and then catch up. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I have th at least five or six New Yorkers I haven't read. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to see my family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, Hunter, nice, great to see you. Thanks for all your good work. All right. And uh, when you find out whatever happened to the guy on the plane, let us know. Uh, I'll, I'll call in for sure. Okay, for sure. And it's nice to have another Laurel person uh, on the show here. Uh, Hunter Walker from Yahoo, Yahoo.com. Again, Jeff Weaver, campaign manager for Bernie Sanders. His new book, How Bernie Won, not How Bernie Lost, How Bernie Won, says Jeff Weaver. He'll join us next. Stay tuned. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, here we are on this uh, Thursday, May 17. Uh, good to have you with us, folks, as we boom out to you live coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, Man, they are active and out there leading the resistance nationwide. And the latest is in North Carolina when they went on strike yesterday for better pay for teachers and more resources for the kids in the classroom, all under the leadership of uh, President Randy Weingarten. We salute her, uh, salute all the members of the AFT and thank them for their support uh, of the program. You want to know what happened in 2016? Uh, we've told you earlier about a great book by John Allen and uh, Amy Parnes called uh, the Shattered. Uh, but the latest and the best of all is this new book called How Bernie Won by Bernie's campaign manager, Jeff Weaver, who joins us in studio. Good friend. Great job. Hello, Jeff. Good to see you. Hey, Bill. Great to be here. Listen, let me just uh, bounce off what you just said about the teachers. They are really leading the fight for labor rights right now across Boy, the country. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, and to see them in Kentucky and West Virginia and Colorado, right, and now Absolutely. North Carolina, state well, by state, and having an impact. Yes, and well, well, I mean, this just goes to, to show what you and I, I think, long have known, and the senator has long known, that, you know, there are working class people in red states also, and they need our help. Boy, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, how Bernie won. Jeff, I hate to break it to you, but Bernie didn't. When? Or did, did he? Or didn't, did he? Didn't he, Bill? Didn't he? <laughs> I, I was at a press conference uh, uh, earlier on the in the U.S. Senate, and I worked with Bernie on the Hill for 14 years. Uh, and I saw almost every person talked about as a leading contender for president of the United States standing at Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All press conference. Certainly not something that would have happened a couple of years ago. Boy, you know it. Right. $15 minimum wage. It's in the Democratic Party platform. You know, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders came together where, where she adopted largely his uh, free tuition at public colleges and universities plan, uh, to her credit. Uh, and, uh, you know, states are starting to move in that direction all over the country. You've seen it in Rhode Island. You've seen it even in New York State. Uh, so did Bernie win? Yeah, I think uh, in many ways what Bernie set out to do, he did, which is to mobilize the grassroots of this country and to turn the conversation back to a more rational direction. I remember when in our early conversations with you and with Bernie, I mean, he these are ideas, bold ideas that he felt had the Democratic Party had to be part of the dialogue in 2016. The Democratic Party had to embrace it, could have gotten away from their base. And to that extent, he achieved all of that. Yes. And, you know, you're starting to see stories now trying to separate Bernie from what we're seeing around the country, which is primary uh, candidates uh, at the local level, state level, at the federal level, 
you know, are running on his platform, right? And now the media is trying to say, well, you know, but Bernie won't be part of that or he won't be the leader of that. But let's be clear, like he inspired that across this country. He made it possible for other people uh, to advocate for those policies. Uh, and the rev- the political revolution, as he called it, uh, is really sweeping across the country. Another front that uh, you, you talk about, and it was a, a, a big part of the campaign, were reforms, changes in policies, but also reforms in the Democratic primary system. Yes. Particularly as engineered by the DNC. Well, look, I, I mean, it's no, no secret to your listeners that there were it was a heavy hand on the scales for Hillary Clinton uh, by the Democratic National Committee uh, during the campaign. There's no doubt about that. Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, has been exposed over and over again as having operated uh, against the campaign. Donna Brazil in her book, which I also recommend mm-hmm. to folks, uh, you know, laid out how the Clinton campaign had effective control of the DNC from the summer of, of 2015, long before the primaries uh, were really even uh, engaged. And right. so... And the uh, emails that came out, uh, the emails that came out, proved the case. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and like again, Don exposed that contract that was uh, signed between the DNC and the Clinton campaign. So, look, that that happened. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And we've got to make sure that that does not happen again. The people who should choose who the nominee of the Democratic Party it, it is going to be uh, is the rank and file voters who go out to the primaries and caucuses. They should be the arbiters of who is the party's nominee. And what's strange about that is that's that's the way the Republican Party works. Well, you know, and, and I'm going to... They don't have superdelegates, for example. Exactly. And I'm going to say something that's... Uh, and I don't want people to take it the wrong way because, you know, I despise everything that Trump stands for. Uh, but Trump was nominated through a process, as you point out, without superdelegates, without insiders with their fingers on the scale. Uh, and we had a process where uh, Hillary Clinton was largely supported by the establishment of the Democratic Party, which had a heavy hand in picking the nominee. And their process produced empirically the more electable candidate, right? Uh, the people when, look, look where he is today. I mean, you can't dispute the fact, right? Right. Yeah. So you know, if you want to pick Sad the candidate, <laughs> you want to pick the candidate that voters are going to pick in November. Have them pick in the primary, right? Right. So the battle the battle goes on, right? Over closed primaries, super delegates, uh, other issues like that. Um, same day voter registration. I, I know there's the Reform Commission, but where are we today? Well, you know, the uh, those the Unity Reform Commission on which I served, and uh, uh, it was a commission that was established uh, through negotiations between our campaign and, and Hillary's campaign. Leading into the convention. Leading into the convention, exactly. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, we had minority representation on the committee, uh, but it came out with a number of important reforms, including uh, reducing the number of superdelegates by at least 60 percent, mm-hmm. um, some moves to make sure that uh, more people could participate. We didn't quite get open primaries, but we did get uh, uh, some major changes. And, you know, this now before the Democratic Party's Rules and Bylaws Committee, I have to say, to his credit, uh, Tom Perez has been advocating very strongly for the reforms that came out of the Unity Reform Commission. So mm-hmm. uh, I give him a lot of credit for that, along with uh, Keith Ellison, the vice chair of, of the party, has been as well. Uh, and so we will see how this comes out. You know, the question will be, at the end of the day, will party insiders let the grassroots have the power that they deserve? Right. And Larry Cohen has been... Uh... Larry, Larry Cohen was the vice chair uh, of the uh, URC, Unity Reform Commission. Uh, and he did a fantastic job. He's a good friend of mine, obviously. Uh, right, in, indeed. I, um, how tough was it? Uh, and before reading your book, I didn't know about this historic meeting the night of the District of Columbia primary. Uh, 
uh, yeah. where uh, the summit meeting <laughs> between Hillary and Bernie, you were there, Jane was there, Mrs. Sanders, uh, John Podesta, and Ravi Mook, as yes, I recall, yes, right? Uh, yes, the six of us were in a suite at in the Washington Hilton. Uh, it was quite a meeting, as a matter of fact, and it was really laid the foundation, uh, Bill, for the cooperation that you saw. So, but at this point, you knew that mathematically it was over, right? Yes. This was the very yes. last primary. Bernie had pledged he'd go all the way through to the last primary. So this was the first meeting between the two candidates Give, once the outcome was definitely known, right? So take no, it from there. Absolutely. The out, the yeah. outcome, look, he had—it uh, was clear uh, we didn't have the pledge delegates we needed— uh, you know, the secretary had hung on through the end, and so there was no prospect at that point that superdelegates were going to flip to mm-hmm. Bernie. Uh, and he had pledged to go to the end. He did. He also pledged at the beginning that he would support the Democratic nominee, which I know was disappointing to some people, but he, he did make that pledge at the very beginning, and he did. Uh, and so at that point, the question became, uh, how can we best advance the policy agenda that Bernie had laid out during the campaign? How could we create as much enduring change out of the campaign as we could from a policy standpoint, because I think at that point, everybody, including Donald Trump, thought that Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president of the United States. Uh, So we decided to meet face to face in this powwow and the media knew about it. There was a huge media stakeout in the front of the out in the front of the the hotel, as you can imagine. I bet. (laughs) And uh, so we agreed to arrive separately. So we arrived first uh, and we went to this uh, sort of converted hotel suite uh, the Clinton people had arranged. Did you go in the front door? The we hotel? went right through the front door, absolutely. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Bernie's not a going through the back, you know, hide <laughs> yeah. and skulk around the back door. He, we went right in through the front door, um, and we waited there, and we sort of, Bernie's not really a, you read about it in the book, Bernie's not really a sitter, so he, we sort of paced, paced around. around until she yeah, gets there. Yeah, yeah, so she gets there. We were sort of, when she got there, we were sort of at the back of the suite, uh, and so they kind of came into an empty room, really. And then, so I was in the front. I I walked up and shook a secretary's uh, hand and congratulated her. She asked how I was. Um, and, you know, it was uh, obviously these had, had been two people who had competed vigorously against one another. But frankly, you know, despite but what— They've known each other a long time. The, yes, they have. And, you know, Bernie often spoke uh, during the campaign about how much he liked on a personal level and respected her and her accomplishments— um, and so it, there was not, um, you know, a campaign wears on you and there is this, this sort of organizational imperative to win and that sort of takes sure. over. Uh, but on a personal level, I, you know, I think both of them understood that the primary was over and that there was a new challenge ahead that had to be uh, confronted and defeated. Unfortunately, it was not defeated. Uh, and so I thought there was a good faith effort on both parts to sit down and try to find out where there would be common ground uh, that they could work together on in order to unify the party and unify uh, the country. And we had a long list of things asked that we had, and some of them were um, policy issues, which I thought would be harder, and some were more political, like get re- getting, ready, getting rid of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, for instance, which the secretary at that point was not willing to do. Uh, but on policy, uh, to my surprise, we did find some common ground around uh, college uh, affordability, uh, and around issues of health care. She was not re- willing to come on a single payer, but she was mm-hmm. uh, willing to support a public option under the uh, President Obama's program, as well as expanding uh, Medicare to people down to 55 and a bunch of other reforms that uh, Bernie had requested. So I thought it was a, a really great meeting. She was obviously uh, not feeling well at the meeting. She had a kind of a cough, and she was eating a lot of Ricola's. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I know the Republicans... 
uh, you know, for their own sick reasons, tried to to make oh, it yeah. out that she had some medical problem. But yeah. you know, it was a grueling campaign, and I have to tell you that I were long periods, and you can read in the book how I, during the Nevada caucuses, I was laid up in bed in a casino yeah. hotel. Uh, <laughs> very Las Vegas can be a fun place. It's not a great place to be sick, by the way, <laughs> for your information, folks. Uh, but uh, you know, I really thought it was a strength, uh, 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 an indication of her sort of strength and and perseverance that she. You know, was pushing on even though she was obviously not feeling well. So, uh, uh, kudos to her for that. Right. Again, the book, uh, a great book by Jeff Weaver, Inside the Revolution: How Bernie Won. Great photo of uh, Jeff and the senator uh, on the back. When during the uh, campaign did you realize that um, this could be more than just a message campaign? Yeah. I, well, <laughs> I, I'm at some point, and I think with the senator too, you realize. Holy mackerel, this thing has really taken off, right? Absolutely. Well, you know, obviously in this— Was there any one point where you— Well, obviously the night of the Iowa caucuses was, you know, that was the first vote, right? The first time where people actually went and voted. I mean, there'd been a lot of polling, and we had done polling, uh, and you can read in the book about the machinations to get get a pollster on our campaign, which is not easy. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, you know, the Iowa caucuses where we, you know, it it was essentially a tie. It was— the closest ever in Iowa caucus history, and that was the night that we knew. And Robbie Mook, uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, described that to me, you know, after the campaign as the worst night for him of their campaign. So, and I think that because that's probably the night that they also realized that it was a real thing and not just a flash uh, in the pan. Well, how about the size of the crowds? Was it like Madison, Wisconsin, or well, Madison, what? Wisconsin was the first uh, ten thousand person crowd. Uh, phenomenal. So here he is, bigger crowds than anybody presidential candidate exactly had, had gotten, and he's right, brand new, never run before, not even a Democrat until he starts running. Right. right. Well, what well, was phenomenal, Bill, and this is you know also a theme throughout the book is the role that the media played uh, in this whole thing, and this whole issue of crowds is interesting because you know he started with big crowds. He had five thousand people at his announcement in Burlington, Vermont, which is as many people as Hillary Clinton had in New mm-hmm. York City, which is obviously a much bigger municipality yeah, than Burlington, right. Vermont. Yeah. For those of you who've been to Burlington, <laughs> as you point out, <laughs> and uh, but every time uh, there would be some indications of strength, the media would downplay it. So first it was just okay, it's only in Vermont, and then it was only in the Northeast, and then it was only in Frost Belt states, mm-hmm. and you know we would go to Arizona and get ten thousand, twelve thousand people, right? So then it was. After a while, they couldn't figure out what was going on because it couldn't be that Bernie was doing well. Uh, so then it was, well, these people will come out to see him, but they won't come out to vote. Well, and that's why Iowa was so important because it showed that, in fact, people would come out to vote for Bernie in the campaign. Yeah, no, absolutely. It did turn out. And and also in terms of I remember um, and you talk about those two, a couple of the early meetings at, uh, at our yeah, house. Yeah, I was going to say that. Just, we, we, just we, about a block from here. Yes. <laughs> this is Bill, for the record, Bill Press was involved in the campaign before I was. I believe you may say that because, because <laughs> I didn't come Before Bernie on. hired you, right? Yeah, right, yeah, right, right. This campaign, although you guys had spent a lot of time working together on other campaigns. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've worked for Bernie for most of my adult life since 1980, yeah. almost continuously since 1986 with a few short breaks. So, But on this campaign, Bill, for the record, you were there before I was. Proud to, proud to have been there, but I remember those early meetings where one question always came up, okay, running for president is going to cost a lot of money. How much money do you think we could raise? And Tad Devine, our good friend, right, who yeah. was an advi- advisor, whatever, did the media. Media, the absolutely, yeah. Oh, and, and much more. And, uh, Tad and, Mar- and Mark Longbaugh Mark- and Julian Mulvey, the, you know, the partners of a DML, they 
they did media, but they did so much more than media. Yeah, yeah. and ta- so Tad had, Bernie had asked him to put up like a little outline about what do you think we could do, and it was always sort of, well, five million or maybe 50 million. I mean, the money must have blown away, the money you were able to raise online. Yeah, no, it was incredible, Bill. And you know, as we talk about in the book, the 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 biggest unknown in the campaign was how much money we would be able to raise. And it drove a lot of the early uh, functioning of the campaign because we just did not know. But, right. then, you know, Bernie announced in the Senate swamp on the end of <laughs> April with sort of unconventional announcement. Almost as if it was a pain in the ass for him to have to do yeah, it, right? right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and by the end of, end of July, we had, you know, less than 30 people on staff nationwide, right? And, you know, the Clinton campaign had hundreds and hundreds of people on staff and people all over the country. Uh, so we had a very lean staff, and that was partly driven by the fact that we did not know how much money we were going to be able to raise, and Bernie was committed to go the whole way. And so we had to make sure that we had the resources to, to do that. And you ended up, as I recall, what, 231 or 235? Yeah, something? yeah, right, exactly. And it was almost all online, and it was vast, vast, vast majority, as you know, was small-dollar contributions. And we all know the average yeah, contribution was $27. $27, right. That became yeah. a, a it, it, right. I mean, you know, it was fun by the end of the campaign is that the crowds knew the stump speech, right? And so yeah, they would yeah, they yeah. would they would actually give parts of it along with Bernie, right? Or he could ask them a question about what was coming next in the speech, and they would all scream it out. So, you know, the the, the level of excitement uh, from people at these rallies was really phenomenal. Well, it was, particularly given the fact, as you point out in the book, that Bernie gave the same stump speech at every rally, and no, it was average. like an hour long. Yeah. Oh, no, and, no. It, well, it started at about an hour and 15, and by the end of the campaign, because things would be added to it, but it was difficult to get anything out of it. So it would go an hour and 45, two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowds were really into it. They were. They stayed the whole time. They were engrossed the whole time. And you know, for those uh, people who think that people can only digest things in thirty-second sound bites, let me assure you uh, that people will enthusiastically receive a two-hour political speech, <laughs> unapologetic political speech, uh, with great excitement. Where does this? And you end up here in in the book. I thought some of the strongest parts of the book is the very end of the book, where you look forward to what what challenges you think facing the Democratic Party. Uh, and then challenges for 2020 with uh, with for Senator Sanders. So right. let's start with the Democratic Party. Uh, yeah, look, the Democratic and I, you know the book tries to put the 2016 race in a historical context uh, of the Democratic Party, which you know with its modern roots in the in the New Deal mm-hmm. and how in an, in an aberrational shift to the right in the 90s, the Democratic Party lost its ways, lost its way, and lost its connection, its real connection with. Uh, much of the grassroots which had supported the party, you know, since the New Deal. Uh, and how Bernie's campaign, uh, in many ways, was a, a much bigger contest within the party between those people who are majority of the party, frankly, who want to put the Democratic Party back on its historical trajectory of a party supporting greater inclusion, greater opportunity, uh, and those who want to cling to the experiment, the failed experiment of the 90s, you know, with a corporatist leaning, uh, triangu- you know, narrow political triangulation, often against some of the most uh, vulnerable parts of our constituencies. Um, and that fight played out in 2016. And where the party has to go forward in order to be successful is it really has to uh, fully uh, re-embrace its modern historical roots in the New Deal. Uh, I put in, if people read the book, there's the entire entirety of uh, FDR's, FDR's speech. Yeah, yeah. his 1944 State of the Union, which my uh, p- publisher said, don't put that in there. It's too long and boring. People won't read it. And I said, 
by God, it's going in the book because this is really the foundational document of the modern Democratic Party and the work that has been left undone since the New Deal. And it's the work that we have to get done. And if we can convince the American people that that's the work we're trying to get done, they will come back to us in droves. And where, what is Bernie doing? So you are a senior political advisor to Senator Sanders. Uh, has Bernie decided to run in 2020, and do you he, think he should? He has not decided to run uh, yet. Uh, he is, it is under active consideration. The book does end with the three words, run, Bernie, run. <laughs> so my position on this is pretty, pretty clear. I, I mean, I think he is the person at this moment in history uh, who is best able to do what I just described, which is to reconnect the Democratic Party with its historical modern roots Uh, to uh, articulate, you know, when you talk to voters, regardless of where they are or what race they are, and you ask what they want in life, the answers are strikingly similar when you poll people. You know, they want a a good economic life. They want health care. They want their children to have a better life than they have had. Uh, They want their parents to be taken care of. Uh, They want to live a life of social dignity. Uh, So we have got to articulate a vision that motivates those people, but we've also got to address all of the specific barriers which keep different communities from attaining that common aspiration. Uh, And Jeff Weaver says again in How Bernie Won, Bernie is the man. Run, Bernie, run. Congratulations, Jeff. Thanks Thanks for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. Get the book anywhere you get books, and on our website we'll have a link to that, too. Have a great day, folks. See you tomorrow.